Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. In by Kulisevsky. <laughs> Welcome, listeners, to The Extra Inch. My name's Wendy, and I'm joined by my marathon runner, Bardi. Hello, Bardi. Hello, Wendy. And our tactics guy, and a man who does not need to spend a million pounds on personal development, it's Nathan A. Clark. Hello, Nathan. Uh, gym membership is about twice as expensive as it was before I was injured, though. <laughs> but they don't have a, what was it, uh, an oxygen uh, tank thing, hydration, yeah. whatever. Yeah. You just need to stop eating avocados and toast, and then you can afford that's the gym. It. That's right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> classic. I did ask on Twitter about personal development. What could you spend one million pounds on and still be rubbish? <laughs> and um, the majority of people said height, um, singing, <laughs> no, no, no. and being able to hit a, a, a hole in one in, in golf. Those are the three things that one million pounds will never give fix. Me, give me the worst singer in the, the Discord, and I'll teach him to sing. Yeah. No. Yeah. Really? Okay. Unless you're like. Maybe if you you have like a hearing issue, that 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 could be a limiter. But it's a skill. Singing is a skill. Think, people think sorry for the massive tangent right at the start. People think of singing as like a sort of a natural beauty, right? But it's it's a skill that you can develop. Like I am not a natural singer, and because I'm way out of practice, my singing is for shit right now. But when I'm doing my, you know, like your physio, doing your exercises every day. You get the pitch control, you get the skill, and, and uh, you develop your voice. Sorry for that. <laughs> okay. No, I agree. I agree. Uh, I, 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 yeah, I was in. I was really into music at school and saw people go from having very little talent to actually quite considerable singing ability, uh, which was interesting. It's really interesting, actually, because it kind of changed the dynamics of how they were perceived by mm-hmm. like the rest of the year mm-hmm. as well, which was fascinating. Mm. Um, Bardi, how are your legs? My my right leg is 
really in a bad way. I'm uh, the stairs are my enemy right now. I had a terrible second half of the marathon where I just had to kind of grip my teeth and put my head down and just not think about anything other than finishing, which was why um, you said before we recorded that I looked very surprised to see you. And it was because you broke my um, you broke my rhythm. kind of thinking. I was just like my rhythm. I was just trying to get to the end. And then all I saw was your your smiling face and your screams. <laughs> and it gave me a much needed boost. It was it was a very nice surprise. Yeah, you were absolutely flying along. I mean, you, there was no way you were stopping to, to, to say hello to anyone who came along to watch you it was like <laughs> absolutely in in the zone uh but i got a big body grin my dad said why didn't you stop to say hello and i'm like no if i'd stopped i would never have started again my leg was mm. hurting that much it was like i did think about perhaps going to get a bandage or something but it wouldn't have helped the only thing that would help me is getting finished as soon as possible and mm. i um i did a pb i didn't run as fast as dan did but i ran <laughs> pretty fast for 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 body mm, you did good mate you did very good i don't i mean dan is just outrageous Mm. Should we say what his his time was? Is that yeah? Is that okay to do that? So he I'm ran sure. it in three hours and nine minutes. Just so impressive. So first good. First timer. First time I just decided just to run a marathon out for banter and just did three hundred nine. Amazing. But um, the marathon is it's an incredible experience, and I highly recommend to people to try it at least once. Obviously, train for it and stuff. But um, the there are things and emotions that you you have during a marathon that can never be um, can never be matched. And um, during this marathon, I was running along, maybe 10 kilometers in, and all of a sudden I could smell something that wasn't quite right. I'm just like, what's that? I thought I thought we were running past a field or something else. <laughs> and out of nowhere on my right-hand side, a little bald man came scuttling past at a rate of knots. This is just 10 kilometers in. And out of his um, black cycling shorts was just a river. Oh, my shit. God. <laughs> Absolutely cascading down his leg and building a big... <laughs> A big mark on his ass. He didn't stop. He didn't give a shit. Literally, he just kept on going. And um, I wondered to myself, I wonder where he went. And then ten kilometers later, I saw him kind of crawling out of a um, a, a portaloo, rubbing himself with tissue paper, trying to sort himself out. So he ran another ten kilometers with, with shit-stained shorts. And shout out to him. Mm. Imagine the chafing. Oh, my goodness. Jeez, he just, he's going to need a lot of pseudo cream or whatever that stuff is you yeah. want, babies. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, slap that all over you, mate. Oh, mm. poor guy. What a thing to happen. Mm. So uh, for, so talking of, of, of shit pouring out of your shorts, uh, let's talk about the North London Derby. <laughs> um, <laughs> shall we start with the team selection, as always? Um Okay, so it, we didn't realise last week when we spoke about this that Kulisevsky wasn't going to make it, um, and that was that was a real downer when that came to light in midweek. That was a real downer because we all know how critical Kulisevsky is to the Spurs team. Um, when he hasn't played, we've just not looked the same team on the counter attack. Our, our pass selection is nowhere near as good, and he, he does really good defensive work as well. So I was a little little worried. And then the rumours came out that actually maybe we're going to play a 3-5-2 and Basuma's going to start. And, and that might compensate for the lack of Kulosevsky because at least we'll have a bit more control in midfield, have an extra body in there. Uh, as it turned out, we were we were 3-4-3. Richarlison on the right, um, which I don't think any of us are very keen on. Not him necessarily on the right, but the combination of Son, Kane, Richarlison. Uh, and Emerson Royale, right wing back. Perisic, left wing back. And Longley, left centre back. They they were the only kind of interesting selections, I guess. Nathan, disappointing about Kulusevski, and how did you feel about the the shape of the team? Um, 
Yeah, I mean, we we knew about Kulusevski in advance, right? Um, I I felt <laughs> I felt pretty pessimistic just on the back of the Kulusevski news. Um, uh, the the thing so so on sort of Spurs social media across platforms. Um, there's, as far as I can see, there's been less noise about Kulusevski. There's been more noise about the shape. People really mm-hmm. wanted to see five three two for this. Mm-hmm. And while I don't think that I actually said all of this, by the way, in a in a uh, like back when we were first playing games with the Conte, there's a, a clip I retweet the video talking about shape. Right, I don't think the five three two does a lot for us offensively, mm. um, and I don't think it would have in this game. But but defensively, um, at the time I sort of said, "Here's a worry," but I played it down. But it's become a really big thing now, right? Because you saw how Leicester took advantage of our shape, right? Um, to, to, to recap, because we have talked about this before, but to recap, um, using uh, a couple of number eights who are in a three-man midfield pushed up really high as well as wide wingers so that our our um, our supporting attackers, Richarlison and Son, have to go and play as defenders and therefore leaving all the space in front of them that Kane's not mm-hmm. going to, you know, headlessly press... Um, that's what Leicester did to us. It probably wasn't the first time we saw that. Um, we talked before about using that space as a way to set up a cross to the opposite post, and that's how Delhi scored against Chelsea from Eriksen's assist and how Ward-Prowse got an assist for Southampton before last season um, and things like that. But teams are making a much more permanent sort of setting up control in those areas now. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just think... Um, like. Every defensive shape, every defensive setup, every overarching setup has its weaknesses, right? So we can sit here, we can say the the five four one is weak because of this, weak because of this, weak because of this, and and, and teams can sit up around that. Um, and that's true, but it's every bit as much that's the issue as we have allowed ourselves to see so much of that defensive shape, right? That a team like Leicester, that um, okay, fine, it's Arsenal, but still, um, that a number of teams have 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 allowed us to be in a position where they can see continuously like a number of teams have created an amount of tape on the 5-4-1 defensive shape um, and and teams are keeping it in that position that um, that that weakness is both being developed tactically by opposition teams and we're just getting more exposure to like a, a larger sample of time where things can go wrong right so while I think yeah a five three two shape can can sort of help us a little bit with things there, um, will at least present the opposition with a different challenge. It's equally a problem, and this goes back to what I used to say under Mourinho and have and have so far or until now really sort of excused Conte from is um, we're spending too much time in our own box. Yep, yep, and yet and yet Nathan, I would like to posit that. The first half of this match went almost precisely to Conte's plan. It was a match in which we, in my view, contained Arsenal. We we allowed them to have plenty of the ball, but not in dangerous areas. We restricted their chances. They, they scored a really good goal from outside the box. Uh, they didn't have many chances inside the box. We had numerous counting attacking opportunities, which we failed to capitalise on because mainly Son's passing was so poor, but also sometimes Kane's passing was really poor. Um, 
we we built up ahead of steam. We got back into the game. We got our goal through a counterattack that kind of worked. And then obviously Richarlison with his relentlessness created something from nothing at the back of that. And then we finished the half even more strongly where we were actually starting to scare, you know, Arsenal were frightened of us counterattacking and so stopped pressing so much. And then we took control as a result of them stopping pressing so much for the last 10 minutes of that half. Um, and I went into halftime thinking, we got this. We absolutely got this. We are, we, we're, we're starting to click. The confidence is returning to the team. They've got the goal back. We look like we know what we're doing. The plan is working. Uh, Conte is a genius. Arteta is going to look like a right mug. And then like a few minutes into the second half, Lloris just throws the ball into his own net, essentially. And, 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 and that's us undermined. And then, Obviously, Emerson Royale makes the most needless of needless challenges, but not only that, he does it in a really reckless way. I've seen lots of people complain about the red card, but I don't really know how you can complain about a player stepping on another player's ankle, to be honest. it's That's a clear red card in my eyes. It's, it's a stupid challenge, but... It was it know, was a little harsh, I think, but it was more of a stupid challenge than it was harsh on, on, on Royale. Yeah. Um, Bardi, I know this one's hit you hard. Uh, how, how are you feeling post North London derby? Well, I wasn't as pessimistic. I wasn't as optimistic as you, Wendy. I I've watched Spurs a lot in the last ten years go to that stadium and absolutely fold for for no reason. And um, I wasn't I wasn't against the the three four three. It, it works for Spurs and it does rely on us defending really well and countering really well, which is something we didn't do at all in this game. And that's. Unfortunately, we built this um, tactic on a fault line and it just, you need everybody to play well. And when you have a goalkeeper doing that and then a right wing back doing that and your forwards unable to slip the ball through to each other, this is this is kind of what happens. What happens? Arsenal didn't do anything special to beat us. And um, this is the problem I have with us when we go there. It always seems to be the same and it repeats and it repeats and it doesn't matter who, who the manager is now because we've been through quite a few managers and we've seen quite a few of the similar occasions there. And we maybe we finish above them at the end of the season, but maybe we don't. It's just painful that it keeps happening. And we find new ways in which to lose at that stadium. Um, 3-5-2, would it have helped us? I don't think so. Not the way that our goalkeeper played and our forwards played. I don't think even putting an extra body in midfield would help. But it does. Um, it just highlights some of the weaknesses in this team. And yeah, I'd, I'd like a couple more windows just to boot, just to get rid of some of these players. Mm. Mm. I kind of feel like I've not learned anything new about Spurs or Arsenal from this game. I, I, I don't feel... I mean, the, uh, the pundits during the second half in particular were going on and on and on about how well Arsenal are playing and I'm like it's a it's a it's a positional play model a possession model playing against 10 men um and and then we've made five subs as well this is not a challenge for 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 what for Arteta's Arsenal that's not a challenge um we essentially took off all our ball carriers we had no way to progress the ball and we were letting them control the no, game. No pace um, as well with Kane and um, sorry with Sun and Richarlison off. We have you know Kane's meant our our threat in behind there. You know, indeed. I, I kind of wanted to get your thoughts on this. Um, I thought that was the perfect opportunity to give Spence a, a, a game, and and sure. I thought Doherty was a really strange selection. You know, the one player on the bench, or maybe you could say Brian Hill is another, but the one player on the bench who can carry the ball at pace from deep, who can move you up the pitch, is Jed Spence. So I thought it was really odd that he wasn't the one that was brought on, and and Doherty was. Well, I mean, the the thinking with the subs was to 
prevent further goals. Yeah. 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 It was to end it at a, at a reasonable scoreline. It wasn't about getting back into the game at all. So for that purpose, Doherty makes more sense than Spence. Do you think? Yeah. I mean, that isn't so much how it played out in his performance because he was rusty as awful. hell, right? But given yeah. what Doherty has been in the past and, mm. and the uncertainty of Spence still, mm. which is, you know, on us, obviously. Um, mm. That I, I understand that decision. I want to see more Spence, but I, I that that's the the counter argument to what you're saying. Well, I mean, I think we will see more Spence now <laughs> because Emerson Royale is going to have a ban. I um, think we'll see Doherty. I think I think Royale think will play in Europe we'll and Doherty will play him. in domestic competition, and then Royale right. will be back again. Okay, that's frustrating. Um, Always see Perisic switch to the right. I, I, I'm. I'm not sure about that. So let's let's talk Perisic. Okay. Um, I've got a confession to make. I don't think he's been that good. I, I really want to like Perisic because I think there is a lot to like about him, but I am struggling with him quite a bit at the moment. Uh, obviously, he's really good at creating a yard and getting across yeah. in. His, cor- his corners are really good Yeah, from the right. Um, I think he's a terrible one-on-one defender. It's not been good, Like, he? really noticeably awful one-on-one defender. And I don't think his progression of the ball is, is particularly good. I think Sessegnon at the moment is our best wing back. And I don't really know why he's not starting against Arsenal. I think Sessegnon needs to have been in the team. I, I agree with that. I think Perisic has looked a little bit old. Um, he does offer some qualities, but again, I think against top-level opposition, he can't be starting. Sessegnon's played well enough, you know, mm. against some of the... really. He's played well. He's had good games against Salah and the like of him. And he played well against Arsenal last time. Mm. I think I, I would have started with him. Mm. Yeah, I'm really interested to see what this um, this game, this mistake by Royale does in Conte's mind and how it changes how he might see our wing-backs. I, I, do, I do think Perisic had a poor game uh, against Arsenal, and I think that would have been noted by Conte. Um, yeah, it's intriguing. It's intriguing. He's got decisions to make. I think, I think Conte, by playing... So what Conte does is he wins games by... by being smarter by making your basically Conte does what Mourinho does but with slightly bit more flair to it Mm. and I think that's fine when everybody's on form and everybody's playing well but perhaps Lloris was still niggled had a bit of a niggling injury maybe he wasn't fully fit I I would have been quite happy to see him forced to play in this game I don't know where I said it but I said to someone I'd quite like just to give him a go did I say in the podcast yeah I wouldn't have been against it just because Lloris continues to play like an idiot at that stadium (laughs) And we could talk about tactics and everything else. And I don't want to get into like proper football man zone of saying they don't want it because they do want it and they do give a shit and they do try their best. But it's just every year it's the same thing. Lloris has played a decade at that stadium and he's not won one match. So, well, well pretty much nearly. He's never, he's not won this. We haven't won this since um, Kabul's header. And I think that was Gomez in goal. So Lloris has never won there. So I wouldn't have been against Forster playing just to kind of protect these idiots a little bit more. But Conte consistently going for this kind of, we're just going to win this game by doing this and countering what you do there will end up in disaster on occasion. Doesn't happen often, which is why he's a really good manager. But when it does, it he looks stupid. And even mm. the sending off, I thought we waited too long to make those substitutions. He allowed Arsenal the initiative to get that goal. 
something should have stopped. You need to stop that play. Yeah. You need to kick a ball on. You need to get <laughs> someone in the crowd to run on the pitch and stop it. You need to stop that because all of a sudden, Arsenal have got man advantage, slow that bloody game down, yeah, make yeah. a substitution, even just make the one sub. You know you're going to put on Doherty immediately, just throw Doherty on in his tracks and bottoms and stop it because Arsenal scored the third one and then you make the substitutions and forget about it. It's all finished. Yeah, I completely agree. That third goal essentially came from the fact that Emerson wasn't there and we hadn't done anything to... Like, we basically just carried on with the same formation, yep. but without Emerson. <laughs> it's like, yep. what? Real was playing sort of nominally on the right-hand side, but, sorry, um, Romero was playing nominally on the right-hand okay. side. And, mm. yeah, and then Richarlison was supposedly tucking back in, but he wasn't. He wasn't. Pause like, it. The instructions were there. Keep it 2-1 yeah. and then make the substitutions. And all of a sudden, Arteta's got a question to make. Does he stick or twist? Does he hold out mm. for 2-1 and just keep the ball? Or does he push for the killer third? But And then it gives us the opportunity to perhaps do something from a set piece or a cane shot or whatever, a cane free kick. And, but um, it could be, yeah, it could be anything. I just thought he was too slow once again to change that or stop that. Mm. Um, so I've just spotted we had a question from Yankee Doodle about Perisic, who had sort of similar feelings to me. He said, aside from dead ball situations, I've been largely disappointed in Perisic. I'm wondering if you think that's down to father time creeping up on him, or if maybe he just needs a little more time to adjust to the physicality and pace of play in the Premier League. I think that's, but I think both of those are, are, are fair points. I think it could be his age, but it also could be the adjustment that he needs to make. And it really wouldn't surprise me if Perisic has a really strong end of the season. I like that would not surprise me in the slightest. I mean, ignoring all the hype from from you guys and Martin Keown and everyone else, I don't think Saka did much. I don't think Saka did anything. I think Martinelli was the bigger problem down the other side. But I thought defensively, Perisic was all right. Um, he even had a couple of opportunities going forwards. I do think there's the, there will obviously be a slow kind of descent into middle ages for, mm. for Perisic, but I think he's still fine. But Sessignon should have played. But I don't think he was. I don't think he was a big problem here. I think there were other issues on the pitch bigger than Perisic. I kind of just think with the way Conte set up this sort of low block encounter, essentially, I just don't think it's a game for Perisic. He's he's basically was there for corners as far as I can tell. And is he that good a set-piece taker to justify that? Yeah, maybe, maybe. But maybe he could have played on the right. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not sure. Uh, Cole B says, it feels like we're still hungover from the end of last season. We're doing just well enough to get by, but what's it going to take to get back up to the end of last season's form? Nathan, how do you think we get up to the end of last season's form? Do you think it's... I mean, you were saying earlier that... Yeah, essentially we're saying that some teams have figured us out. Do you also think there's like a, a Conte World Cup... Uh, preparation going on here like a slightly lower intensity style that's kind of what I've been thinking yeah um, I'm still not sure I'm still so I I, I I sort of spoke about this at some length on the on the, the podcast with Tifo trying to unwrap the mystery of our form this season versus last season and I did say mainly I think it's been down to to injuries right we've seen a lot of Davinson Sanchez We've seen yeah. way, way too much Emerson Royale, a player that we all expected to go in the summer. Um, I do think that there is, um, I do speculate that there is um, like a long-term fitness build-up in, in mind. Mm-hmm. And we're still not sharp. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I agree. Uh, Romero got injured and has not played very well since coming back from injury. Um, yep. <clears throat> and Yeah, well, well below his usual level. And we're now into two games a week, Conte, which is an infamous thing. But yeah, I mean, even I think even if you take all of those things into consideration in combination, it does feel like we're a step behind where we were at the end of last season. And that is really disappointing with how we invested. Um, I mean, I think there's also a strong argument to say it's the lack of Kulusevski. We've we've not had as much Kulusevski yeah. in the team. Well, and I, I think he's so critical. Yeah, I, I believe that so thoroughly. And maybe because um, you mentioned how like the first half went right, we we were ahead on expected goals at half time um, quite Ooh. considerably. I think that um, I think that that goal that that piece of shit scored was of a higher value chance and will be given by most models because of how little pressure there was on him. Mm, um, that's fair. But yeah, I, I can see I can I can see an argument for if Kulisovsky plays in that game, then it's it's a very different game. Um, but I also think that we would we, like we're giving away too much control too far into our half. Like if we're ten yards further forwards, if we're mm-hmm. if we're putting pressure on our opponents ten yards further forwards, which we have done for most of our time under Conte in that shape. Mm-hmm. Better, but but mm-hmm. teams are doing a good job of flattening us, a better job of flattening us now than I think than they have done before. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean the fact that like we're now going to miss Kulusevski, we're forced to through injury, makes the fact mm-hmm. that we chose to play without him earlier more stupid and really frustrating. Uh, the fact that that we're in a situation where the closest player to Kulusevski in the squad is Brian Hill and he's just not going to yep. see the pitch is a significant issue, I think. Um, the, the, like, not only do we not have a, um, sort of stylistically similar player in a more direct way to Kulusevski that can play in terms of like a, a winger slash 10 type player, but we also don't have an alternate source of creativity as like a number six means that we are definitely very, very reliant on Kulusevski for creativity and even, um, you know, derates Kulusevski and Lucas is injured now too. So yeah, that's that's definitely relevant. But I, 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 the thing is that I don't want to go too far with this. What I don't want to say is there will come a time under Conte. There always comes a time under Conte where things just fall apart completely. Where the players are sick of the manager, or the manager is sick of the players, or the manager is sick of the board, or the board is sick of the manager. Right where where it's done. And the sooner you accept that it's done, the sooner you pay Conte out of his contract, the sooner you move on and begin rebuilding for the next project, the better. I don't think we're there. I don't think we're there. I don't think we're even close. I think like we're not close to being there. There's a lot of people that do think we're there. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I I think it would be worse. <laughs> I think oh, I think it would be quite a lot yeah. worse if that was the case. We're we're doing okay. I mean, like obviously the sporting game was really disappointing. Sure. Obviously, obviously, obviously the Arsenal game was really disappointing. It's Arsenal. I I fucking hated this game, man. I I felt so low after this game, and I don't normally let Tottenham affect me in that way. Rarely do I do I feel as bad as I felt, and I appreciate that it's the North London derby, really? right? But I I just felt like I honestly felt the opposite. Really, I I felt I felt like. This was such an opportunity to to like derail their season and get ours going, and I feel like we made things. Well, we did. We made things worse, and that hurt me. 
I think I think I feel the opposite because I thought the first half performance showed that we had the capability of derailing the season and then individual stupidity cost us the opportunity. And because that's not a structural problem in my eyes, because it's down to individual but moments it is of that, isn't it? It is a structural problem when you when you put so much weight and pressure on having to defend so close to your box. We said this all the time about Jose, that when you put so much pressure on these individuals not to make a mistake because everybody's on top of them, all of a sudden it, it is a structural problem. And I think having celebrating a 1-1 is, is not a good place to be in. I'm probably in between the two of you, um, but I'm edging more towards Nathan than you, Wendy. I'd say the other way in which you could argue it's structural is that we have built our squad to be reliant on Kulusevski being able to play basically every match, whilst also not fair. improving the player who plays next to him on the right. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, again, I would say even despite the lineup I don't like, Richarlison playing on the right-hand side, Emerson Real continuing at right wing back, I thought the first half went to right. plan. I really did. I really did. And, and I, it just it, it really annoys me that Hugo made that mistake because I defended him in the last podcast. Hmm. Uh, he's done so much. He's done so much good for us over so many years. We're going to talk about him a bit later, actually. He's done so much good for us over so many years. And he made two mistakes for the price of one. Like, get that ball wide, firstly. Why are you palming it back out into the mm. centre of the box? And then he just let it squirm under him. It was just... He does this every now and again, and it's really frustrating because he nearly always does it in the big games. It feels like he nearly always does it in the big games. It drives me insane. But I kind of feel like the Emerson Real one was even worse because it was so needless. It wasn't Martinelli like a, was sprinting to his own corner flag. He wasn't yeah. even through on goal. It's not like it was a lapse of concentration or like a, a fumble. He del- he he made that tackle. He decided he was going to make that tackle. Like, what are you doing? I don't understand. I don't understand what he was doing. It's, it's madness. I guess he was trying to sort of be be ultra aggressive with Martinelli and like give him a bit of you know I'm I'm here to get you I'm go- I'm going to try and put one on you and and stop you running at me or something I don't know but it was stupid and it cost us the game essentially those two mistakes cost us the game in my eyes uh, really really annoying to watch. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves. Feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Um, L.A. Coys says, would love to hear you all touch on what seems to be a growing divide amongst fans around stylistic preference. Personally, I'd also love it if we could play effectively and look like a pep side, but I also appreciate that even when we aren't that fun to watch, we've still been very effective. I personally think we have talent issues in areas, wingbacks, far more than any stylistic or tactical issue. Am I over-defending Conte? What are your thoughts? Um, I do think... 
there's a situation here which I think you need to reflect on a little bit, Windy, because had our manager been some a Portuguese guy, you would be going in on this situation right now. And I think a lot more people would be. So why why do you give Conte a pass for this and you didn't give Jose a pass? Mm. Yeah, I've been thinking about that quite a lot today. Um, I think the main reason is that Jose Mourinho is a fucking arsehole and I hate him. <laughs> well, um, Conte is an arsehole as well. At least, at least. Uh, he's got a little bit of the arsehole in him, but to, to a lesser extent. Um, but also, I've seen Conte have us play in a way that I think is not only effective, but also sustainable. Yeah. And I'm just waiting for it, that to... If if, that, like, if I don't see signs of that soon, I'm going to start losing patience because this mm. can't carry on yeah. indefinitely. There has to be an upturn in the the expected goal difference, at least. At least that. I want, I want some stylish football. I want Kuliseski to be starting every game. I don't want him to start tinkering with that. I want him to move on from Emerson Royale and start playing Jed Spence because I, you know, yes, of course, Jed Spence is untested at Premier League level. He's a fucking good player. I've seen him play incredibly well for England on 21s, for two teams in the championship. I know what he's capable of. I've watched lots of him. He's really good. His skill set is over and above what Emerson Royale's skill set is, in my opinion, in this in this system. There's enough protection there for him to be just fine. I want him to play. And if Conte doesn't start taking a few more risks with Spence, with substitutions, with a bit more tactical ingenuity, with even Brian Hill, you know? Give Brian Hill some minutes if Kudelsevsky's not available. That, as Nathan says, he's the closest thing we've got. If Conte doesn't start taking a few more risks, I am going to get very frustrated very quickly. But for the time being, I can kind of see, I can kind of see what's happening. And I kind of think if he is timing the fitness to 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 last us a, a very compressed difficult season within two competitions if that's his master plan and I, I think i think it could be i get it i get what he's trying to do but obviously there are mistakes like i'm not going to say that this has gone perfectly it really hasn't gone perfectly and there are lots of things i'm left frustrated about um for me with Mourinho, it's different i you know i felt so hopeless and helpless because i couldn't s- Sure, we had the Southampton game. You know, there was some, there was some, there was there was some good attacking play, but it felt to me like it was very off the cuff, not pre-planned. I couldn't see what was being done on the training ground, and we were literally defending with <laughs> sometimes eight men in our own box for eighty-five minutes of matches. It was too much for me. I don't get that. I think like there is, you know, with Conte, there there is pattern-based, and it's not necessarily my preference, but. Sometimes the patterns do produce some really exciting counterattacks, and I, I quite enjoy it. I just want to see more of it. I want to see more counterattacking. I want to see more of us attacking, running with the ball. It's Kulusevski essentially. He needs to build the team around Kulusevski to make the system work. I mean, all football is pattern-based. Pep's side is very pattern-based. He's just able to put some absolute megastars in those roles that can can do the patterns, but actually add a little touch of flourish to it. I'm, you know, from my back end of Jose, I'm. I don't need to have beautiful flair football every week. I'm quite happy in doing 38-1-0s. I could live with that quite happily. Um, But like you, I would like to see some changes. I would like to see a bit more bravery in midfield. I would like to see someone else start a right wing back. And I would like to see Sessegnon start a little bit more. Mm. Um, Whether we play 3-5-2-4, I'm not bothered. But I would like to see Basuma start a bloody game over Huyberg. I can't stand it anymore. But (laughs) other than that, I'm all right. So it sounds like Basuma had a knock for this one okay. it was carrying a, a slight niggle still so wasn't able to play from the start maybe he would have started if he'd been fully fit maybe that's the change that the Conte would have made Nathan any thoughts um in terms of like the differences between these two managers right 
Um, largely, largely what you said, right? I, I like to have the ball, right? My preferred version of football is a one in yeah. which we dominate games with, uh, and I have been explicit on the record, um, in opposition to, to Jose Mourinho and other teams who play, uh, especially counter-attack football before, but I have given the exception to Conte because I think that his attacking, even if it is not that frequent, is is beautiful to watch and effective, right? Mm. And we have seen at this club last season good Conte counter-attacking performances mm. and I enjoyed them and they were good and they were effective and they were sustainable, as you said, Wendy. Um but man, when it's when it's when it's not going great, I mean, it's not again like the results have been fine. Our our like our shot based metrics have been fine, good even. Um, but it's been really difficult to watch this season, and uh, yeah, I I just I struggled with the with that game. What's interesting is if Son hadn't scored uh, a hat trick against Leicester and Kulusevski had been fit, there there would have been a good argument for Kulusevski and Richardson playing either side of Kane. Um, and I, I, I think that might have been, I think that might have been better. I think Son, his passing in this game was so awful. And and the thing is, as Bardi says, it's reliant on moments. The Conte style, you you have to take those chances when they crop up because they're not going to crop up that often. Uh, and Son was so wasteful. I mean, obviously now Kulusevski's out for a couple of weeks. He's going to start. Son's going to have to start every game. And this is the other thing. This is the other thing. We're now because we aren't playing Brian Hill. We're going to play Son and Kane twice a week, three times a week sometimes for the next, what, six weeks? Uh, and, that's and that's not going to be helpful. Did. Against Arsenal, Conte rested players. He took players off who were going to play a lot of minutes and um, he rested he rested Hjoibert uh, and he rested Son because they knew the game was done. There is, um, there is a small chance that coming back to this episode in five months' time is very funny because we're the only team in the league who are still <laughs> like with high energy levels and we're mm. blowing teams away. I, I, I really wouldn't be surprised if that was the case, yeah. you know? And we here we are, you know, throwing a tantrum about various decisions, and we're we're actually the only team approaching the season correctly. You know, maybe, mm. maybe, but it just doesn't feel very, very present to now. Why do we have to be the smart team? Why do, why are we the team that are always financially savvy that look after our players? Can't we just throw five hundred million pounds at them <laughs> and run like yeah. idiots for the yeah. first three months of the year and just win the banter wars? Why can't we do that? Why have we always got to be the smart one? Oh, you go where are you going? I'm going home early to get a nice early kit because I don't want to upset my mum or something. I want to be the bad boys. Let's just do something mental. Mm-hmm. It's that content pragmatism, Vardy. You can't help yourself. Oh, that's what you get. You, you hire an Italian. That's, of course, what you're going to get. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's the English side of me, the side I try to keep buried. It keeps popping up <laughs> every now and then. So I don't think there's a lot of point us talking about Untracked Frankfurt because by the time most people listen to this, that match will have happened or will be happening. Um, and they're good again as well. That's great timing. Great timing. And we, we played mm. them twice uh, in quick succession. So in the next pod, we can talk a bit about uh, how what we thought of their style and uh, how the, the second match might They're go. playing a back three again. They stopped playing a back three for a while and then they started playing a back three again. That's that's all I got. And how many midfielders? Um Five, I think. Pretty sure. Maybe a six. There's a lot, a lot of more than we have anyway. <laughs> we need, we've got bloody all the centre. We've got really good central midfielders. We just never see them all. They're all, all hidden on the bench. <laughs> uh, Nathan, post shot expected goals. Talk to me. Okay. <laughs> so I, I tweeted a thread earlier. Um, I made some graphs around a metric called post shot expected goals minus goals against. Let's um. 
That's a mouthful, right? So we have to break that down. So a, a post shot expected goals is a metric that measures um, not so much the location of the shot, but um, where the shot is going to, right? So um, essentially what you're measuring is the difficulty of the save, right? If the ball is being hit um, to the into the corners, the bottom corners, the top corners, if it's been hit right into the, the sides of the net, um, you know, from a certain angle and stuff like that, it's a harder save to make. Um, whereas if it's sort of gently rolled down the middle of the goal, <laughs> you'd very much expect a keeper to save that, right? So that's where the metric, that's what the metric post shot expected goals is. And you can use that to, um, give a different lens of analysis to your expected goals, right? When you're analyzing a game, like, oh, we generated this in terms of expected goals, but actually our shooting was very bad, right? We had all these good chances and we skied them more, or the opposite, yeah? We had very few chances, but we were great at turning them into to accurate sh shots that were difficult to save. What is useful here is to measure the quality of the keeper's performance. So, minus goals allowed yeah so you're comparing how many you would expect a keeper um to concede versus how many they have conceded so this is the metric for shot stopping um as i explained in the thread it's a good metric for that purpose but um you tend to get a lot of variance in it season to season it's quite a messy metric i think it probably requires a very large sample to get a, a good read on a keeper i think i've spoken about this before in terms of, of scouting keepers it's hard because you need um, probably need like three seasons of data to get a good read on a keeper. And um, the public data on that provided by FBREF is only available for the top five leagues and also MLS. So you're waiting for a keeper to have played three senior full seasons in a top league, at which point I'm not really providing much of value. Yeah. So it's difficult with the, with the data I have available. But um, I decided I'd, I'd make up these line graphs Um for because uh, we were linked with Jan Oblak uh, last week. I thought I'd make up these line graphs that show the sort of a season to season how they're doing on the shot stopping metric. And I did Hugo's and there's this very, very clear decline over the last three seasons. Um, obviously, this season, in every case, there isn't a huge sample to work with, right? Um, but I found that really interesting. And then there's maybe a similar trend with Oblak and then unshockingly you go and look at all of the all of the keepers that we've had to play back up under Larice and they're all pretty bad or at least average <laughs> um so yeah I thought that was interesting and then I think that can be an interesting tool for trying to scout keepers but again because the data I'm using is is top five leagues only and because you need a sample of probably three seasons um you you can't get a ton that you don't already know. But I mean, I say that, and and top clubs are consistently buying keepers who are by the metrics bad shot stoppers. So maybe it's still pretty useful. Mm. And it's very difficult to judge a goalkeeper. So I I think Allison is probably one of the best goalkeepers in the world. I mean, that's not it's not a hot take. That's this is fact. But then a lot his performance so it's, it's so much for a goalkeeper depends on the defense in front of him. And then the, the defense in front of him wobbles like Liverpool's is at the moment with um, Matip and Alexander Arnold and even Van Dijk looking fallible. All of a sudden, a goalkeeper that looked unbeatable is letting in goals. Um, two of the Trossard goals, for example. Like last season, you, you think Alisson saves those goals. So it's really hard to judge a metric on a goalkeeper. Lloris has worried me for, for quite some time. 
Yes, he pulls out some good saves, but I do think he lets in a lot of softer goals. And of course, there's the factor of his feet as well. I think we should have, if we were a normal professional running football club, we would have been looking at replacing Lloris three yeah. years ago. And we could have gone out there and got Mike Magnan before he went yeah. to Milan. Now he's untouchable for us. And he could have worked with Hugo and the understanding that this is your understudy for France and this is your understudy for Tottenham. One year together and you go through. Or you arrive at a point which Inter have done now where they've got Handanovic who's completely fallen off a cliff. And underneath him, they got Onana playing Champions League football and learning the ropes that way. This is this is how a, this is how proper teams work. And the fact that Lloris is allowed to been deteriorate like this is has been a problem. Mm. And um, yeah, it, sh- it shouldn't have happened. I got pelters for this five years ago for calling Lloris finished. And he's had a little bit of a blossom in, in his performance. But I do think a lot of that was down to Conte just tightening up the defence. We've been saying consistently for quite a while that we really need to start replacing Hugo Lloris. Um, and I honestly think the only reason the club haven't done that is because there have been so many other fires yeah. to put out and other chunks of money that needed to be spent. Um, and they've just been hanging on and hanging on and hanging on, hoping that Lloris will just do enough to, to be fine. And he, he kind of has. He's He's been fine. Um, across the season, he's been fine. He, he's, he's made some errors. He's kicking his pretty poor but he does pull some incredible saves out the bag so across the season maybe he's a little under average now but under his average now but he's still pretty good but we've we've cut it really fine and we do have to replace him in one of the next two windows i'm i'm adamant about that i think it's really clear that there are some some very talented goalkeepers in the premier league they're going to cost us a lot of money but we're going to have to drop that money we're just going to have to get it done well it's you you buy a goalkeeper you spend 50 60 million pounds but then you don't need to invest in another one for eight years exactly so you spread the money out and it's fine um yeah Lloris it's it's, it's very sad because he seems like a nice guy but no yeah I mean Robert Sanchez is 24 you spend 50 million on him now he's your goalkeeper for the next decade if you want I still like to st- I don't watch Brighton enough to have a, a good feel for him fair uh what about Raya are you a fan? I need to see more. I need to like like Nathan says. You need to see these guys. So I will. Um, I mean, I don't know how much data there are on these guys, but I will. I will um, do another thread maybe tonight or tomorrow on on some of these perspective um, yeah. targets. Yeah, I mean, I, I do think it's really interesting that I think maybe this is the best selection of goalkeepers the Premier League's had in a decade. But there's some really good goalkeepers around. I mean, I I still really like Melia. I know a lot of people have given up on Melia. I still think he's really good. I think there's high potential there. Um, but the, the standard of goalkeeping generally in the Premier League, I think, is pretty good right now. Uh, obviously, then you have the other extreme with Ward, who I think is one of the worst Premier League goalkeepers I've ever seen. Uh, yeah, that's an unfortunate set of circumstances that led to him yeah. becoming their number one. But yeah, he's awful. He's really bad. Uh, Nathan, you you released a video, um, oh, yeah. the second episode of the VO show. Yeah, so we, again, we mainly did attacking corners and there's a bunch of new routines and there's a bunch of variations on those routines and there's a bunch of different possibilities from a given corner and all of that is really fun. And then we also had a look at uh, a couple of more tricky subjects for me. So we looked at um, the corners that we've conceded and how we might better approach them and and a couple of ideas, although again, it's kind of really shaky ground for me. And uh, we also looked at kickoffs uh, and their their potential as as a set piece. Nice. 
we did some interesting kickoff stuff against Arsenal, and also Arsenal did some some intriguing things. So we did the usual the potch one where they would just line up on the left hand side and they stormed forward. Don't mind like, that one. We scored that goal against yeah, and then but Arsenal also pushed everybody right up and had Ramsdale pick the ball up thirty five yards outside his box, and they worked it from there because they can rely on Ramsdale kicking the ball pretty well. Mm. We cannot rely on Hugo kicking the ball <laughs> so well. <laughs> Yeah, his his distribution in this game I thought was really ropey, to be honest. I mean, Hugo's that old that um, back in the day he was he was he was a, he was the bright young thing. He was a sweeper. He was the first of the sweeper keepers. That's how old he was. Hmm. That when we first signed him, he was this new generation of goalkeepers. <laughs> yeah. Now he's completely an old generation of goalkeeper. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I don't really want to talk about the Arsenal game much more. We'll do we'll do a question and then we'll, then then we'll then we'll leave it there. So. It seems like this is a good time to ask this question from Mickey Bob. Is what City has done the death of football? It just feels like, what's the point anymore? Yes. Mm. I mean, they've been slowly killing football for, for five, six years now. It's just they finally, you know, you can't say, oh, all they need is a number nine. And then they finally went out and did it. And they've, um, they've got an absolute monster. I think, I think it was, if this was Serie A in the 90s, they would just take his kneecaps off like they did with Ronaldo and realise that when, when the original Ronaldo was at Inter and he was destroying teams, they just figured out a way to, to break him. And I think that's what the Premier League needs to do. I think somebody out there needs to take one for the team and just um, slow him down. I'm not saying end his career, but at least slow him down a little bit. Mm. I just can't quite think of a an aggressive, hard tackling centre back who who might do that. Can you? Any ideas? Any? Doesn't angles? have to be a centre back. It can be a it can be a forward or um, it can be a midfielder. Cootie going to go straight through him. No, nah, Cootie's clean. Plus, he's got this reputation of being hard, and he, the last couple of games, I just think it's it's all waffle. It's it's not actually true. No, I think he's gonna. I think he's gonna like this matchup. I think he's gonna enjoy playing against Ireland. Not that I think necessarily he'll be successful, but I think you'll see it as a challenge, and uh, I'm intrigued to see how it pans out. <clears throat> but yeah, I mean, Ireland is a cheat code. It's insane. Mm. I, I I thought he'd be good. I wasn't expecting the adjustment to come this quickly. You know, three three hat tricks in a row in at home is is nuts. I mean, and City's chance creation has gone up a level again, hasn't it, as well, as I think it's fair to say. And is that just his movement? Is it, is it something else? Is, is it the fact that they've, they've moved on from Sterling, maybe, and, and Sterling was starting to decline? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. But they well, are, they they are ridiculous. Of, they got rid of Sterling, got rid of Jesus and put in Haaland, who's, who's a much, much better player than the two of them put together. Mm, he's, he's crazy. Um, I mean, there's no way City don't win the league unless they get substantial injuries, right? That's it's the only way they're not going to win the league. Haaland's not even at the World Cup. Yeah, <laughs> that's depressing, isn't it? Um, so we, we've got the Frankfurt game and then Spurs will be playing every three to four days for the next six weeks, basically. This is going to be an extremely challenging period Uh in in one in one way, it's good that the games are coming thick and fast, so we can you know get over, <laughs> move on from the Arsenal game. Um, but that only works if we start winning. I think the Brighton game at the weekend is is tough. Um, we've had our problems with Brighton before. <laughs> Obviously, we have a new coach, so we don't quite know. Oh, what he's, to expect, he's good. I guess. Really good. Uh-huh. <laughs> he's good. Yeah. Windy. He's really good. <laughs> And they, they just now. drew with Liverpool. Yeah, we're soon as now talking about a guy who doesn't know the Premier League. He just went to Anfield and, and beat and them. And played good football doing it. Killed, mm. Beat them with yeah. possession, you know. Played through the Liverpool press repeatedly in his first match. It's, it's brave, isn't it? It's really brave. Um, 
I think that match is slightly concerning, uh, especially with that Kulisevsky. I think it's yeah. I I don't I I don't relish that one. I will say that. Um, but having said that, a couple of wins and everything changes again. You know, the optimism will be right back, and then we'll be in a happy place. So I think we just need to to everyone take a a little pause for breath. Just relax a bit. Remember that we've we've won a lot of games in the Premier League this year. We're we're doing just fine, and we have the capacity to carry on doing just fine. There's no need to panic. You have been listening to The Extra Inch with me, Windy, my sidekick and best friend, Barney, and our tactics guy, Nate If you like this, there's plenty more at patreon.com forward slash The Extra Inch. Production is by Nathan A. Clark. Our logo, artwork and website are designed by Trayton Miller. Our music is by David Lindmer. You can find him on Instagram at David Lindmer. Do check him out. He's great. Great, great. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Extra Inch. Email us at podcast at theextrainch.co.uk. Subscribe, leave us a rating and a review. And most importantly, be sure to tell all of your Spurs friends. Shout out to the X-Sub, who we love every single last one of you. And of course, come on you Spurs. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1, only from Rust-Oleum. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.